The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. The 2 2. Swing and a miss. Hey, strikeouts. And goes down. That's eight strikeouts for Shane McClanahan. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week, take a look around Major League Baseball, and sit down for in depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. First pitch to him. Line back up the middle, but there is Franco. To the left of the bag, he turns and throws him out, and the Rays have won it in Atlanta. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Welcome to our latest show and week three of a history-making 2023 season so far. On today's program, we'll speak with Harold Ramirez about the team's torrid start and how much he's enjoying this. Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times offers perspective on a history-making week. Plus, we chat base running with first base coach Chris Prieto and how to handle the pitch clock with Justin Sua, head of mental performance. Well, we continue on this week in race baseball. Our featured guest this week is Harold Ramirez. He's off to a very good start, as is the whole team. Harold, thanks very much for coming on. Thank you guys very much. I'm happy to be here with you guys. How much fun have you had so far this season with this group, the way you guys are all playing? It's very fun to be here on this team, winning a lot of games, the energy, the passion we play, so that made the baseball more fun. Is it the most fun in any stretch in the major leagues you've had as a group with a team? Yes. It's a lot of Latin guys and a lot of American guys too, but it's like a family. We don't care where you're from, we just a good team. Last year was a good team too, but is this even a little bit different than last year? And if so, why? It's because everybody's healthy this year. Last year, a lot of guys getting hurt. And that is very difficult for everybody. So far, the results have been great. Um, but you guys are also doing a lot of little things. The hustle play earlier in the week. How important was that to this team? It's very important when you play 100% because the little thing is going to make something big happen. So you can see last week I run hard to the base. I get safe. After that, Lau hit a grand slam. So that's what happened. That has always been part of your game is hustling, Um, at least with us. Has it always been part of your game growing up? Yes. I think that's the main good impact for me. When I play hard, I, the good result is going to come. Who helped teach you that when you were growing up, when you were starting to play baseball? Uh, the team where I play was uh, each thing around my house. So the coach there always say, hey, we got to play hard, we got to win a game. And we see the results, so that's always, that's always on my mind. The good results for you and for this team came after the WBC. Do you think the WBC helped you get ready for this year? Yes, not just me. It's like everybody. We have like seven, eight players who play at the WBC. So everybody's come ready to play a good baseball. What was that experience like for you? Because it was your first time in the WBC. It's very exciting for me. I just enjoy every moment I've been there, and I feel so good. 
what was most special to you? Uh, because my mom was there. That was very special for me. Did you get a lot of items for her from that from the classic jerseys or hats or what did you give to her? She have everything. <laughs> After the classic she take all my stuff and she have everything at home. Tell me I mean I would assume you dreamed about this opportunity that opportunity for a long time, yes? Yes, because this that was my first time in World Baseball Classic, and that was my first time to represent my city. And had you watched the other classics before, and was it better than you thought it would be? Was it what you thought it would be? For my opinion, this year the classic was way better. You can see everything, every player, good hustle, everybody enjoyed, the stadium was full, so it's unbelievable. I would assume in Colombia you knew most of the players who were on that team before already? And were there any you became closer to because of the experience? Uh, I know everybody before we go to a classic because everybody was at the same city in Colombia. But with Uchela, Dison Herrera, John Romero, it's like everybody we like together. And obviously now you're with a team here that you think is almost like a family too. Yes, because you can see it. You can see everybody get excited for basic, double, diving cast, everything. Everybody like focus in the game. Everybody laugh, like everybody enjoy. I've always felt that when you came here, you've provided a lot of energy to the group. Um, were you always an energy player too? Yes. That's, I don't know how I'm going to help the team that day. I'm always trying to be positive, bring a good energy, so that made me made to do something good for the team. You also, your family is very important, especially your son, and that's the reason you have the blue hair. Explain when you decided to do that and why it's so important. It's very important because... Uh, it's hard to be at that, like, worry about what's going to happen with your son. Um, but when you try to be, like, show everybody, like, they are a normal person, they are very smart, intelligent. So I just try to show everybody, like, the autistic is nothing bad. It's just like regular person. What does it mean that the Rays are having a special event, an Autism Awareness Day, on April 22nd to you and to your family? It's very important because I know they care about me, my family, and all the autistic people on this city or in another city. So I just feel very excited for that day. Does it mean a great deal that when when did you know when did you learn he was autistic and what how did you how did you initially deal with that as a dad the first day we feel like I don't know what we're gonna think because we don't know how we're gonna act on that situation but 
you gotta learn to be patient you gotta learn to be a very good person not just with my son with everybody because you don't know what the other people have so that is very important for everybody can you also be a good example for other parents to help them when they learn because this it's not easy yes if somebody asks me i gonna help because it, maybe that's part of my time here maybe for that reason god bring me my son and to help the other guys i don't know I want to also touch on your career because as mentioned when you came here this has been kind of a special place. Do you remember much about when you got traded to this place and what you thought? Yes, I when I get traded here I just think okay, this is a good thing. I want to live this dream very good. I just want to be at the playoff and enjoy. I just going to do my part to be part of this team. And you got to the playoffs last year. You said all year you wanted to be. What was that like? Uh, obviously, the World Baseball Classic was special. How special were the playoffs last year for you? Was my first one, so was very special. We lost, but we this year we just focused to go to another year for playoffs and winning the. What did you learn from that experience too? Because sometimes. There's a lot of emotion when you get to something for the first time, and once you get there. Another time, it's easier. Yeah, we just feel like I don't know. Sometimes a little bit nervous. So, but that's part. You are a human. And you gotta feel something if you gonna be there. But I know this year we can make it the playoff again, and it's gonna be better for everybody. I remember talking to you last year, and you thought that this place, St. Petersburg, Tampa Bay, was a lot like Cologne. Where you were from in Colombia? Yes, in some ways. Yes, because it's around the beach, so I really love to be on the beach. So tell me, do you have you found a favorite beach here to to hang out with, uh, to hang out at? St. Pete Beach is very good area because that's where I live. So I just walk to the beach and it's good. A lot of guys play around, play soccer, volleyball, so it's good. And I would imagine finding food from Colombia is difficult here. Is there any? Have you found any restaurant that, or a place that you really like, enjoy going to, or do you do a lot of cooking at home? It's a restaurant like ten minutes here from the stadium. It's Colombian, so they have a good food. What's your favorite dish? Uh, la bandeja paisa. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It reminds you of home. Yes, <laughs> and I like to eat a lot of fish. That's good. That's good. It, tell me, um, for this team this year, you're not you can't win every day, but to be where you want to go at the end of the year, what types of things need to happen for this team? Like I said before, we have to stay healthy. If we stay healthy, everybody know we can do something good, something special for the team and for every people. Last year, you had a very unique injury when you got hit on the hand was that the first time that happened to you and how hard was that for you it's very hard because i was in a very good moment because i hit him so well i helping the thing a lot when i get hit by pitch i take like one month and a half and i so that's i really don't like i really don't want that again 
You, after the injury, were you the same? Or were you still having to adjust your hitting because of the hand? I have to adjust a little bit because I feel great, but sometimes when I hit the ball, I feel very sore. But this year is 100%. And you're showing more power so far this year than last year. Why? I just try to be consistent to hit the ball more in the air. Um, the result is going to come, and you can see it. How much confidence do you have with this lineup because you have so many good hitters in the lineup? The confidence is 200% because you have a guy who can hit homer, you got a guy who can hit base hit, you got a guy who can bunt, who can steal, so you have everything on this lineup. And the pitching, knowing that they're not going to allow a lot of runs, does that help the confidence too? Yes. Because, you know, we have a very good fire starters, very good bullpen. So we just say if they compete, we got to compete too and make some runs. When I look in the dugout from upstairs, I see the smiles on your faces. I see the poses with Randy. How important is that to be a good team? The, I think that's all on baseball. If you have a good team and you have... A very good onion, everybody's happy, a very, very, like, good communicate. That's going to help a lot. And the celebrations, they're different this year, but they're still fun after wins? Yes. We really just celebrate every day because, you know, it's, everybody feels happy to be here. No matter if we won or we lost, we just go in, shower, and everybody get ready to compete another day. Well, let's hope there's a lot of victories, but a lot of enjoyment in the game. Your passion is a lot of fun to watch, and we appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. That's Harold Ramirez. As he joins us on This Week in Race Baseball. We'll continue in just a moment. Thanks for being with us as we're back with more Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times. Right after this, you're listening to the Race Baseball Network. We continue on this week in Rays Baseball. We appreciate the time of one Harold Ramirez as Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times now joins us here in Toronto. And, Mark, uh, you've covered so much of Rays Baseball. Where does the 13-game win streak kind of fit in in terms of the interesting things that you've covered over the years? First, I just wanted to point out it was really cool you dyed your hair blue since you interviewed Harold before me. That was really cool. Look, I mean, it's it's the best streak in Rays history, right? So we've, we've got to start there. Um, you know, the 04 team... Yes, they won 12 in a row, but that was a team that wasn't going to be very good. They happened to have a good run. They still only won 70 games. Uh, this is a team that has a chance to be really good and, and to see them come out of the gate and win 13 in a row. And I know we talked about this before, Neil, is it, how they won, the way they were playing so well, the all-around uh, effort, performance, the pitching being so dominant, the hitting being so explosive, the defense being so tidy. You saw a lot of really good things, which led to 13 wins. That maybe stood out even more so than the actual victory stacking up. Uh, and then it obviously comes to an end on Friday night in Toronto when they play arguably their worst game of the year. So in a weird way, maybe the fitting way for it to end, rather than you know a bloop and a blast or a, a, a pitch clock violation or some weird way for it to end, it ended with the Rays playing a clunker of a game. And now they move forward, and we're going to get in how they move forward, but I, w I do want to back up. You touched on all facets of the game being really, really good. Was the offense and how productive they were, though, maybe even the most impressive thing about it? By far. Look, I mean, we, we knew the pitching was going to be good, and 
you know, until some guys started getting hurt, which is a prelude to what I know you're going to ask about next, mm -hmm. we, we saw how good that pitching can be. We knew the defense was going to be really good, and we've seen some glimpses of some pretty good defense. They haven't maybe had that game yet where you've seen the four or five plays, but we've seen a handful of really good plays. Manuel Margot already with a couple of highlight uh, real plays. We've seen Wander Franco play pretty good shortstop. We've seen some other things that have caught your eye. But the, the volume of the offense, the quantity as well as the quality, the one through nine aspect of it, the young guys, I mean, Eric Nander used that phrase over and over through the offseason. Once they decided not to add somebody, breakthrough guys and bounce back guys. They were counting on both, acknowledging there was a little bit of risk. Well, they've hit so far because the breakthrough guys, specifically Luke Rayleigh, or as we should now call him, Nuke Rayleigh, and Josh Lowe have been really, really good. They've really contributed. And then the bounce back guys, I mean, uh, you look at Manny Margot, you look at Wander Franco, you look at Brandon Lau, three guys that missed half or more of the season last year. They're three of the four or five leading uh, contributors this year and all showing what they can do. And, and Brandon Lau's been asked a bunch of times what's different about the team this year. And I, he's almost getting like indignant about it. He's like, this just shows you what we can do when we're healthy. It's not like they're new players, they learn new tricks. He's, his point is, we were good players. We had a bunch of guys hurt last year. Those guys are healthy now. They've, you've also written about and the players have talked about how valuable the chemistry has been and the continuity. What has that meant in your mind to the way this club got off to such a good start? Yeah, look, it's always been a, a relaxed culture here, a positive culture. I mean, Kevin Cash picked up on that. You know, when he took over for Joe Madden, it's always been kind of that casual. There a lot of positive reinforcement, very little negative vibe from the coaches, from the play, other players. Uh, but I, I think this year, and it wasn't necessarily by design. I mean, I think if they could have gone out and signed a couple of left-handed hitters, they might have changed this roster up. But they didn't see that opportunity. They decided instead to kind of go with what they had, kind of run it back is, is the cool kid's phrase that you probably use a lot. And, and just to see how you know this group would do with another opportunity. And I think it allowed them to bond a little bit. It allowed them to stay together. It allowed them to grow. There was a change in the clubhouse leadership, too. I mean, this was Kevin Kiermeyer's clubhouse for a long time. He was gone most of the second half of last year. Mike Zanino had a big voice in this clubhouse. He was gone. G-Man Choi, not necessarily as a leader, but as a guy who kind of entertained the players and maybe took some of the pressure off uh, with some of his uh, antics, for lack of a better word, in a fun way. So those guys were all gone. Somebody had to step up. I've seen We've seen kind of a co-partnership here. Uh, Shane McClanahan, Brandon Lau have kind of emerged as those guys. Yanni Diaz some other players, but we've seen this kind of tight-knit group. Players talk about it. You hear it you know, from different guys. Ryan Thompson was talking about it. He said it's a bond that we've never seen before. He said there's some kind of special magic. But, you know, caring for each other, liking each other, being friends with each other, willing to have dinner with each other doesn't win ball games. You've got to be good players, too. The Rays may just have that kind of special mix where you have both things going. We'll see. And the fact that you couldn't keep a straight face when talking about me among the cool kids, it's very, very telling. Indeed, you chatted with a lot of members of the 82 and 87 Braves and Brewers who now share the record books with the Rays. It's in today's Tampa Bay Times. Tell us what you learned in your conversations with a, a lot of big-time baseball players. Yeah, this will be my Dave Wills Memorial name drop. When I was talking to Dale Murphy the other night, uh, but, you know, it, it was really cool. It was, it was you know, some friends in the business that were able to reach out to some of these guys that were on those teams because they were the two teams that won 13. And you said, what lessons did you learn from it? What, what good can come of it? 
you know, it's going to end at some point. What good can come of it? What bad can come of it? Both those teams went into long losing stretches, uh, 12 and 11 game losing streaks. The Brewers ended up not making the playoffs. So it's not, this is not a golden ticket to the finals here. Uh, you still have to play out the rest of the season. And there were some cautionary tales in there. Uh, the confidence get early. I think Paul Molitor, I was talking to Paul Molitor the other night. And I think Paul Molitor made the point that, you know, you you do this in the middle of the season, it's a nice streak, but you do it at the beginning, there is some residual benefit because your, your team knows it can do better. Now, both of those teams weren't expected to be really good. The Rays were expected to be really good, so it's not the exact same parallel. But I think it was just interesting that neither team just coasted. This wasn't a Detroit Tigers when they started 35-5 and five and won wire to wire. These were teams that had a battle. One got in the playoffs and got swept in the first round. The other didn't even make the playoffs. Although back then they actually didn't have wild cards, so it's a pre-wild card era, which now we have three of those, which does make this a little bit different than those teams in the 80s. As we look forward, though, there are some pitfalls, and injuries are probably right at the top of the list. Yeah, it's been a rough stretch so far for the Rays. You know, they kind of got through spring healthy, really. Glass now is the one major injury. Sean Armstrong came in hurt. Walsh came in hurt. He was ready to go opening day. There was that one-day scare with Wander when he got scratched from the game against the Mets, and he certainly has looked really healthy since he's played, but there have been some pitching concerns. I think we counted up, if you count Sean Armstrong, Glass now, and then three other pitchers have all gone on the injury list since spring training started. The fact that it's three of the starters, I mean, those stories at the beginning of spring, I wrote, you guys talked about, the national media picked up upon, except for one with MLB.com who ranked the Rays 12th. Everybody else thought the Rays rotation was one of the best rotations in the game, and now three of those guys are out, and Jeff Springs may be a while. I reported that in the Tampa Bay Times, you know, Friday night, Saturday morning. This could be several months at the least, and perhaps even longer, depending on what the final diagnosis is. So they're going to have to make do. Is that the the biggest concern, the Springs injury for you, more than Glasnow or Eflin or Thompson or Armstrong at this point? It definitely is. Now, you know, we don't know the history with Zach Eflin. I mean, he said this was a very minimal thing with the back tightness. He gets it once in a while, maybe once or twice a year. He's happy to get it out of the way now. If he comes back and pitches as he did the first couple times out, we'll probably forget about the fact that he skipped a couple starts. So if that's not a big deal, if Glasnow comes back, that he now is on the track to do that, he started throwing bullpens. Yeah, I think if you, you know, look at Jeffrey Springs, the role he grew into, as important as he became in that rotation, with what he did last year, you know, where people were saying, you know, he could be as good as Glass now and McClanahan. It's a top three, not a top two. To take him out of the mix now could be very concerning. And you wonder, the depth is there, but right now the depth hasn't been that impressive. Neither Yanni Chirinos nor Luis Patino has pitched well at AAA. We did see Taj Bradley. He looked really good, but that was one start in the big leagues. Let's see, against a not great Boston lineup. Let's see what happens if he gets more opportunity. So much was made in spring training of, oh, they don't need to use openers anymore. The race may, because of the injuries, have to use either some bullpen days or some openers to help protect some of their younger starting pitchers. Yeah, I think that's definitely back in the mix now. And we were probably foolish to write it off because, you know, the coaches and Kevin Cash know more than we do. And, you know, there's some situations where I think there's certain pitchers, uh, Josh Fleming, we've seen it already in the Saturday game where, we thought maybe he was going to start. Then it turned out they were going to use an opener. You know, so his role evolved a little bit. I think we're going to see that a couple times where if they don't like the necessarily the matchup the way it falls, or if you know they play a lot of games here. They're in the middle of a stretch of 13 straight and 52 out of 55. So there may be some days where they just decide they need to give somebody a break and kind of go to a you know a quasi six man for one time through and pop somebody into the middle. 
We talk about run prevention. One guy we haven't spoken about is Jose Siri. The Rays do miss him a bit in center field. It, look, it hasn't shown up necessarily in the win-loss column, but there is a lot of value there that he brings over the long haul. And he was doing really well. I mean, I know somebody who had a big story planned on him for last Sunday, and then he gets hurt on Saturday, and story had to run anyway with an, oh, by the way, he's out for a while. But, yeah, look, he I thought he was actually, we talked about this last week, through Saturday of last week or through Friday, I thought he was the most impressive uh, most surprising player that the Rays had in the first week because of his overall contribution. We know he can play good defense, but he was putting the ball in play. He was getting on base enough to use his speed on the bases. And obviously we saw him hit the ball for power too. So he was using a little bit of everything he has. They rave about this guy. They talk about this guy as a true, legit five-tool player. And, you know, in Rays history, there haven't been a ton of those type of guys. They're rare in all of baseball. And as we watch Kevin Kiermaier here on this Sunday, I don't know if you would make anyone forget KK, but defensively, he's as close as you can get. I think you're going to hear the phrase uh, very KK-like and Kiermaier-esque and those type of things following Jose Siri around for a couple years. Look, it's a tough role to step into. I mean, you, you step in behind a guy who was really, really good and won three gold gloves and had been here for a long time and was a fan favorite. And I think Jose Siri's got kind of the personality to handle that. Indeed he does. Mark Topkin is a personality to hang with us. On a Sunday, we appreciate it. We know you got a lot to do, so thanks for coming on This Week in Rays Baseball. Anytime I can bask in the aura of your personality, Neil, it brightens my day. And I don't quite believe that at all. Right now, why don't we pause for station identification? This is the Rays Baseball Network. We continue on This Week in Rays Baseball. We're joined by first base coach Chris Prieto, who uh, also heads up all the work on the base running side. And Chris, first of all, how proud have you been about the way this team has run the bases early on in the season? Well, yeah, very proud. I mean, these guys, you know, we had a couple of messages in spring training about, you know, just giving consistent effort, um, trying to make better decisions on the bases, and, and, and I've really liked what we've seen so far. What were those simple messages that you tried to get out? I mean, you kind of elaborate a little bit on what, yeah. that, what that means. I mean, big league teams are really good. They don't make a lot of mistakes. And in order to take advantage and extend games by a couple outs, you got to kind of run hard as much as possible to, to take advantage of those opportunities or to actually, you know, have a chance to maybe take advantage of those opportunities. Because a lot of times, you know, you, you do something good on the bases and you just don't get that big hit. So these guys know the importance of one little play can, can change a game. And you've seen it early on here. Yeah, you could argue that two games were either won or separated because of base running. I, I think of the play in Washington where Randy Rosarena beats a ball to the hole that probably would be an out for most, and then the play in, in the Oakland series where Harold Ramirez first beats out the play at first and then beats out the play at second. So important for these guys to, to, to get those uh, wins right there um, on the bases because you, you get those early on and it, and it kind of catapults you into believing that those little plays matter and, and they will help you help lead to, to good things uh, moving forward. And I would think especially um, for a hitter, it means a lot to see something like that because both those situations happen with two out um, or, or at least the, the, the latter one where Harold was safe at second base. And sometimes a pitcher can kind of mentally shut down right after that. And in both cases, you guys immediately capitalized with the home run ball. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, these guys, you know, base running is about running for your team. You know, you're not running for yourself. And and when you're seeing other guys do it, you're more apt to want to do it for them. And it's just um, self-perpetuating. It's the balls rolling in the right direction. 
You talk about making intelligent choices. What are what, what makes an intelligent base runner or base running team? Well, I think one of the things that we we've really stressed is, especially with the time management now with the clock. You know, in between pitches, you got 20 seconds. There's not a lot of time to to do a lot of uh, you know talking to to guys. You have to kind of get dialed in every pitch, and so we just asked them like manage your time in between pitches really well. You know, have have a system in place. Every guy's different. They talk. They they think a little bit differently. But whatever it is that you think, be be the same all the time and do it every pitch. Be consistent. And and those are some of the things that I think help lead to better better decisions on the bases is when you when you're consistent thinking pitch to pitch uh, the same way. The pitch clock does lead to shorter games. Does shorter games lead to better focus because of the fact that you have less time to have to focus every single day? Definitely can argue that point because there's not a, the the downtime. You don't have time to to do anything but think the game and stay stay in the moment and and be locked in. So yeah, hopefully um, th- that's what it's doing for our base runners. I want to elaborate on the particular play of Harold Ramirez more so that he was safe at second base on what should have been a routine fielder's choice, and I guess it begins with secondary leads, right? What what is a good secondary lead? What are what are what are base runners designed or should be doing to allow allowed him to get in that position to occasionally beat a play like that. Yeah, I mean, in that particular play, with the first baseman so far off the base with a with a right-handed hitter, he's trying to take away that ball in the in the in the four hole. Um, we we tell our guys to just get it extended as far as possible, and you don't necessarily need a lot of rhythm in that secondary lead because you're already out as far as you need to go. And then basically, you just have to listen to me. If you if you hear me um, yelling back, you, you've got to start coming right away. That guy, you know, he has an opportunity to back pick, but he'd have to leave very early because he's so far away. He'd have to leave really, really early, and I can see that play coming out. So if 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 I don't see him leave early, then he can stay out there and maybe take advantage of a ball in the hole like he did, and and run hard. and And he did everything right on that play. I mean, credit to him. He he. You know, part of the part of that play is just wanting to to be safe and beat a force, and 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 he he got out of the gate really good and and it was it was a great play for him. In fact, the I think the statcast data on it for what it's worth was he was 3.3 to get to second base and he had an 18 foot lead. Mm-hmm. How big a lead is that for for this day and age with with the way things are situated and how important is that? Yeah, that's that's a really big lead. I mean, you know, eight if you if you're getting out that far, you've got an opportunity to to, to make it to the next base on on routine balls in the hole and and such so yeah that's that's large i mean eight, 18 19 20 you're those, those are elite lengths in leads stolen base wise you guys have been fairly quiet and i think a lot of that is because the games have been lopsided for the most part i mean the first nine games were all decided by four runs and then you also lost jose siri for a little bit with a hamstring issue but I would think, as a whole, you guys should be a team that does take advantage of the opportunity to steal bases when it's the right time. Yeah, I think we're definitely – we have a lot of team speed. I think we're definitely looking to, to steal bases. Um, yeah, early on, uh, the, the stolen base opportunity hasn't been there. You know, either late in games, we, we've had kind of a more commanding leads, and you don't, you don't typically run in those situations. Um, you know, so we'll – 
we'll continue to try to, you know, pick our spots and try to run. And, and yeah, Jose Siri, you know, that, that hurts us on the base paths. But we do have a lot of team speed, and we will be looking to, to run as much as, as much as possible, as much as the game tells us to run. Yeah, and obviously a lot has to do with the opposing pitcher, the opposing catcher, all of the information that goes into that. How much have you learned, because last year was your first year with this group at the big league level, you were a coordinator at the minor league level, how much did last year learning catchers, learning other teams help you prepare for this year? Yeah, just learning the overall system, how our advanced scouts work, um, the reports, you know, um, question and answer sessions, a lot of meetings, a lot of, uh, it was really eye-opening for me. These there, There's so many guys that, 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 behind the scenes that do brilliant things for us and make my job a, you know a ton easier um, and so I, I basically show up and I read what all these guys do for me and and try to try to put things into play try to take advantage of of things that our, our advanced scouts have seen part of that and I have to had conversations with Kyle on the pitching side is trying to make it as simple as possible for the guys that you're working with how do you do that from a base running standpoint? Simplify the message so that you take advantage of what's there. Yeah, I mean, these guys are particularly really good athletes. <clears throat> you want to kind of keep the thinking out of it and try to just, you know, a lot of times it's just in-game situations where I might get in their ear and just give them one word, hey, look at this, look at that. Um, you can't really inundate them you know, pre-game with a, hey, this guy does this, this guy does that, and, and a lot of information. That just clouds their mind. So you, you definitely do have to keep it simple and, and pick your spots on, on when to say something. Um, and then when you, do, when you do say it, it has to be something that's, that's uh, got some meat and potatoes to it. And how much of this goes back to, let's say, the offseason? Because last, uh, 2021, this was a really good base running team. Last year, it probably made a few more outs on the bases than you guys would have wanted. And how much went into planning for the next year to make sure this was a team that seems to be running the bases as well as I think I've seen. Yeah, I mean, it, we were we were definitely, um, you know, a lot of our outs last year were uh, trying to extend plays where other teams may have made the mistake and we were trying to be over aggressive, um, taking advantage of, of, you know, situations that w we might have been just trying to do too much. Um, I think we're, we're now balancing, you know, being aggressive, but also being intelligent and not, not forcing issues and, and just understanding like how important, you know, every out is in a game and, and trying to extend the game with outs and not lose, lose outs in the game. So, you know, err on the side of caution at times and then understand, you know, the advanced scouts, the reports that we have, like who can we take advantage of, and then just try to be smart about, about that. And, and our guys are, are doing a great job. And how much, we, we've touched on hustle plays, we've touched on stolen bases, but a lot of this is finding a way to get a hustle double or going first to third or first to home. What have you most been pleased with in that regard? Because those are big parts of this game because they change the way pitchers have to pitch. I mean, our guys know how important it is to take the next base. And in any situation or opportunity that has presented itself so far, we've done a pretty good job of, of, of going first to third, um, being able to, you know, score on a double at first, um, scoring on, on hard hit singles from second base um, right at a guy. Those are things that if you can do those things, um, you potentially can put yourself in a really good situation uh, as a base running, uh, as a good base running team. And there was one other play that I, that stands out. I think it was Randy Rosarena who was able to score. I think on a, a what seemed to be a fairly shallow sack fly in Washington, mm -hmm. where the outfielder was caught a little bit flat-footed. How much of that also is just recognizing 
what's going on and being aware and how much of that rubs off on other players when one of your star players does something like that. Yeah, I mean, that was purely instinctive on his part, too. That's a tough call for, for Brady Williams over there at third. Um, and, and the player sometimes has to make an instinctive uh, call himself um, because he, it, the ball's right in front of him. He's reading the play. And, and those little things go a long way. You know, they, you know, all of our guys are feeding off each other right now. They all understand how important um, base running is and doing the little things. So it's been really fun to see. Let's hope it continues for a while. Chris, we appreciate a few minutes on this week in race baseball. Of course. Thanks, Neil. That's Chris Prieto. Again, he works with the base runners, also coaches first base, works with the outfielders too. And we'll continue with more of this week in race baseball right after this. You're listening to the Rays Baseball Network. We continue on this week in race baseball, and we're joined now by head of mental performance, Justin Sua. And Justin, it's a different year with the clock. And I know way back in spring training, you tried to help players get accustomed to the the time how did you go about doing that yeah it was it was definitely collective effort a collection of both coaching staff and players as they looked ahead to this season you always they're always looking ahead thinking about what are potential obstacles that we could account for early on and one of them was the pitch clock and so we had conversations around what are potential obstacles how is it going to affect the routines of both the pitchers and the hitters and what can we do to prepare for that and so there's a number of conversations and I just did the the best I could to kind of help them navigate that. You came up with a pretty unique exercise to help with that. Explain for our fans what you did and how helpful you think it's been. Well, one of the things that you will hear pitchers and and hitters say, especially early on, is when you don't have a pitch clock, the purpose of the routine was to slow the game down, to be present. Well, you can't do that anymore because of the pitch clock, and it seems like you are now at at the mercy of that time ticking down. So what happens is the game starts to speed up. And at first, the question was, at first, the frustration was, I don't have enough time. There's not enough time. And when you're in the heat of the moment, making the decisions that you are, the time even feels a lot faster. So the first thing that we did was we tried to create, close the gap between their perception of 15 to 20 seconds and what really 15, 20 seconds feels like. And so we did a simple little exercise with some of the, some of the players. And I said, okay, I'm going to hit the clock for 15 seconds. And I want you to close your eyes and tell me when to stop. Tell me, say stop when you think it hit 15 seconds. And once you know, they kept saying stop way before the 15 second mark, which tells us that their internal clock was a lot different than the actual clock. And so it was an exercise that some of them practiced. Okay, let me gain a better relationship with 15 seconds or 20 seconds with them when there's no runners on. Some of the hitters said, okay, let me do seven seconds just to get a, a better feel for what it, what it really feels like. Now, it's different in the game versus outside of the game, but it's a nice little exercise to, to practice. And I would guess it's probably not too dissimilar from getting accustomed to it to a player having an internal clock with how fast a runner is or other types of situations within the baseball game itself. You hit the nail on the head. Just like anything, when you become experienced and accustomed to something, the the variable doesn't change, but you become comfortable and used to it. And players who have a lot of experience in any domain, they they 
are very aware of their internal clock, how fast an opponent is, how fast a pitch is, and they're able to te they're they're able to act accordingly. And that's the big takeaway is we tell the players and we've all been discussing that you're going to get used to it. It's a new rule. At first it's frustrating. At first you're not going to you're going to push against it. But what can we do to accelerate the, the process of you getting more comfortable with it? And so that's all we did. Was we just accelerated or tried to accelerate the process. Because for anyone who has to deal with change, I think we all know change is hard, but it's how you adapt to it. You hit, you're absolutely right. Change is hard. And we call it like it is. It's, it's not something that uh, we, at the end of the day, we look back and said, okay, what can you control? And that's the one thing that these players are so good at is focusing on what they can control and letting the results take care of themselves. And this was just another opportunity to focus on what they can control. So would you say it's been easier or harder for pitchers versus hitters? Has one been a, cha a more difficult variable to deal with in terms of time? I think it is depends on the person, but I think generally speaking, it, it seems like it's a little. It, it's going to take the hitters a little bit more to become accustomed to, simply because the pitchers control the ball. They decide when they're going to throw, and the hitters, a lot of times, as you've seen throughout the spring training, where sometimes pitcher pitchers could could use the clock and leverage the clock to their advantage. And so the hitters sometimes might feel at the disadvantage and thinking, okay, when is the, pit the pitcher could hold, the pitcher could quick pitch, and uh, they can do a lot more with that time where the hitters might feel uh, being, like they're being acted upon instead of having the ability to act. Since you came up with this unique exercise overall to figure out what 15 and 20 seconds are like, are there ways where you can help a hitter, in essence, slow down the mind when they're not quite sure what the pitcher is going to do in those moments? I think it really comes down to the breath because when the mind starts racing and going and the heart rate starts racing and going, it comes down to slowing down your breathing, being able to be fully present and slowing your heart rate down. We talked about the anatomy of the breath and when you take an inhale, the diaphragm goes up, shrinks the heart, which signals to the brain signals to the heart to speed up. But when you exhale, diaphragm goes down, heart expands, and it slows the heart rate down. And so we've been talking a lot about the power and the importance of being present by slowing down the breath. And obviously it has worked. How much do you think it also helps to have results on top of that? Because this team got off to such a terrific start, I would imagine the clock is probably uh, less of a factor for a team that's having really good results versus a team that's struggling in the early going. Winning is incredibly helpful it is it is a lubricant to communication it is it helps with with uh, being able to bounce back from adversity even micro adversities and so yes results absolutely matter uh, they're very helpful but hopefully players are able to realize and be able to see hey what am i doing that leads to these successes knowing that we're going to hit some rough patches and rough times and hopefully they can use their habits now as a, as a standard or a barometer of, of things they can continue to do even when it gets rocky. I know that you've been head of mental performance, uh, performance for several seasons. Do you tend to believe guys are more apt to come to you when things for the group are going well and even if they're having struggles or, or are they more likely when, things, when there are struggles going on 
to turn to you? I think just because of nature of my position and nature of my relationships, we, we don't want the, the mental performance uh, to be used as a more of a reactive thing or, or more of a, as a Band-Aid or a prescription, but rather a vitamin, something that these, these collections of conversations and debriefing and conversations around the process and conversation around their definitions of success and failures. And so it's this constant, ongoing, organic development of a relationship uh, to provide a place where players feel safe and free to think out loud and to explore and to uh, and to kind of navigate their own thoughts and goals and their journey. And so hopefully, hopefully, um, as, a, as a function of being here for so long, players feel a little bit more safe and they talk through good times, bad times. And uh, and yeah, and so that's that's what I've experienced so far. And on that end, because the core was in place and most more guys probably were back here from a year ago than previous seasons. Did that foster more conversation in the off season and maybe help as you got started this year? Yes, I think just like anything in life, that you want to build relationships so strong it could bear the weight of truth. And the, the deeper your relationships, the, the more that you don't not only care about them as, as players and but people, you care about their families and their children and their relationships and how they're doing off the field and just as a friend. And so I think that is, you're absolutely right, that because of the depth of the relationships and we're together all the time with, we're, during the season, as you know, we're together with the play, with each other more than with our own families. And so we do develop those relationships where we care about one another. So yes, it, there, it has led to more conversations. We're chatting with uh, Justin Sue, head of mental performance on This Week in Race Baseball. One other thing I wanted to ask, because when you started here, it was just you. How many other staff members do you have now in the minor leagues too? And how much has that kind of helped um, in terms of getting players accustomed to this type of conversation and help preparing them for level upon level. It has been wonderful. Yes, we have Josh Kaju, who is the, the the coordinator, the mental performance coordinator of the minor leagues, and uh, uh, Chris Goodman and, and Jenny Ferreter and Carla Diaz, and we just hired uh, David, and it's been wonderful. Con and also collaborating with the mental health department as well and the coaching staff. It's been great. And what I've noticed is a byproduct: players are coming to the big leagues already knowing how to breathe, already knowing the language, already knowing about journaling, already knowing about visualization. And so it's really neat to, to see that we can hit the ground running once they come up to the big leagues. And it's um, tip of the cap to everyone in player development who has been a huge part of that. Well, congratulations uh, on the efforts that you guys have made to get guys used to the clock. And hopefully everyone will continue to breathe easy throughout the course of the season. Thank you so much. Hope so as well. Appreciate the time of the race, Justin Sua. And with Tampa Bay playing the Jays, I did have a chance to get a feel for their group with radio voice Ben Wagner and asked about the excitement level here for Toronto. That is certainly the case. Um, not only is there an excitement, but there's a level of expectation, even beyond what the Blue Jays the last couple of years have built. They feel like they've done some things to get some depth in the rotation. They've improved the bullpen, which really kind of reared its ugly head a number of times in the lapses for the Blue Jays last year. So they feel like getting Eric Swanson, better roles for Zach Pop and Jimmy Garcia, ultimately then, as we saw on Friday night, to get the ball to Jordan Romano and he has been outstanding. So the pitching really was the focus, but then you think, all right, now, where are the Blue Jays going to replace the bat of Teoscar Hernandez and Lourdes Goriel Jr.? John Schneider loves to call Kevin Kiermeyer, as you know, the addition of Dalton Varsho, the shift with Springer into right field, three Ferraris out there running wild, and that ability to cover so much ground and work with the pitchers really is the benefit of the Blue Jays right now in run prevention.
And that's Ben Wagner, the radio voice of the Toronto Blue Jays, as we sit here at the Rogers Center on this Sunday, getting you set for the Rays and Jays. And certainly appreciate the time of one Ben Wagner, radio voice of the Jays today. And that goes for all of the guests on the program this afternoon. Harold Ramirez, who, as you'll hear in our pregame show, is going to play the outfield today. Of course, first baseman DH as well. Thanks to Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times for spending some time with us here on a game day in Toronto, Canada. Thanks as well to Chris Prieto, the Rays' first base coach, and also the guy who works with the base runners a great deal and talking about how the Rays have run the bases so far this season. They certainly have done it fairly well and also appreciate the time of the head of mental performance for the Rays, Justin Sua. Really some interesting insight into what goes on and how they prepare for dealing with the new rules in the game and also dealing with the clock, which obviously is a change for everyone at the major league level. They had to be doing it some at the minor league level has made the transition certainly that much easier. If you ever have something you want to hear on the program, all you have to do is tweet me, and you can do so at Neil Solons, or if it's more difficult or easier to do so, you can do so at Race Radio. Thanks as well to Derek Dubose for handling things back in our network studios. Thanks to Paul Gatt here at the Rogers Center for his help, and also special assistance from Chris Miller, Becca Carney, as well as Parker Welch and Alex Fuse for their help with the program today. We're getting set for the Rays and Jays on this Sunday. Rays trying to salvage the last of three, and the pregame show is coming up. Thanks so much for being with us. You've been listening to the Rays Baseball Network. Thank you for listening to This Week in Rays Baseball. Breaking ball lifted to the air, way up there, in the right field and deep. Judge is going back towards the corner at the wall. Gone! And the Rays jump in front 4-1. to one. If you missed any of the show, catch it at RaysBaseball.com slash radio.